0: Welcoming Trevor and Edie. Trevor, welcome. We're glad you're here. Edie, thrilled that you're here. Felix, you feel free to yell and scream as much as you want, okay? If anybody is offended by his yelling and screaming, we have a overflow room upstairs that <laughs> you can go and watch the service in. Fair enough? All right. Hey, we welcome you if you're here today in person, if you're watching. Online, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Uh, My name is James, and I watch football. Everybody say hi, James. Hi. Uh, For those who don't know, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Hmm. Wait, I missed that part. Fly Eagles. Well, we're not. I'm, I'm not up here to pick a team. But I'm here to tell you, I am a football fan, and as a fan, I've been thinking about the other types of fans that if I were to have a Super Bowl party, which I'm not, but if I were to have a Super Bowl party, what type of fans would I invite? And I've kind of come down to three different types of fans. I know there's a lot more than that, but three different types. Uh, First, the duds, okay? Everybody say duds. duds. Duds, that's good, we're listening. These are the people who will show up they don't care at all about the game, but they got an opinion about everything else, right? You know who I'm talking about. Don't, don't say it out loud, okay? Your name might, might be sitting right next to you. These are the people who complain about the colors of the jerseys, who complain about the food that's being served, who complain about the officials, who complain about the commercials. These are the people who, they, they don't care. They just want to argue, okay? The duds say that. The Duds, okay? That's the first group I thought of. Second group is the Dads. <laughs> the Dads, all right? Not to say anything. It's the Moms. I know there's a lot of Moms that are phenomenal football fans, but the Dads, these are the guys who, over the course of the season, maybe watched every single game. Or maybe if they've got young kids, they didn't get to watch any games. Um, But they're the ones who can't wait for this day, this afternoon in particular, because no matter if their team made it to the big game or not, they're going to show up. And this is the one afternoon where the the moms have said, you guys go, you have fun. So they show up, they cheer, they yell, they high-five, they are sold out, right? I fall into that category. I'm a dad, all right? So we have the duds and the dads. Very good. I thought of a third type, the doubters. Everybody say doubters. That's good. I I won't make you repeat everything I say because it would be a real long message if I did that. The doubters are the people that even if their team made it into the Super Bowl, they don't think they could ever win it, right? These are the ones that, that they show up and they're like, well, the other coach already has Super Bowl rings. And did you know the other team has this and such a quarterback? And did you... Even if their team is up by 28 points, uh, Atlanta Falcons, um, they, sorry, I didn't mean, well, I did mean to say that. Um, They fear that the other team is gonna come back and beat them. They're the doubters, no faith, okay? So I know there's more types of people, more types of fans than that, but we've got the duds, the dads, and the doubters. I've sat there thinking this past week, Who would I invite to my Super Bowl party if I were having one, right? Who would I want to welcome into my life for these, I mean, what's the Super Bowl, like eight hours long with commercials and pregame and postgame, and who, who would I invite to sit next to me on a couch for that entire time? I don't know if I'd invite any of those three, but let me tell you what, Jesus would, and Jesus already did, even though he never went to a Super Bowl. Let me pray, and I'll tell you why. God, every time we uh, get to hear from you, we want to have open ears, open eyes, open hearts. Um, I ask, Lord, that on a day like today where we may be looking forward to things post-service, that you would grab a hold of our hearts and just uh, bring them to be present here now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you've got a Bible or a phone or a tablet or you don't have a Bible, there's a maroon one under the seat in front of you, go ahead and grab it, open it up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Elena read the entirety of our text just a little bit ago. Um, this morning, we re-enter into the Offensive Christianity series that we started last fall. We're asking the question, who's in and who's out? Who does Jesus welcome? Who does he engage with? Who does he interact with? Who does he love on? Who does he say, hey, take a walk with me? Last fall, we covered the first eight chapters. Uh, Starting last week, we jumped into chapter 9, and we'll be making our way through the end of Mark's gospel. Last week, we saw Jesus in the first 13 chapters of Mark 9 um, honor and celebrate and appreciate history. Where our faith, where the faith of the disciples had come from, all while going in a certain direction forward. Today, you probably caught on that I'm going to say Jesus welcomes duds, dads, and doubters. All right? So that's coming. Spoiler alert. He welcomes them. Last week, we saw Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he lit up the stage, waxed the chump like a candle. Wrong. Wrong song. Sorry. Thank you. You got it. Last week, we saw Jesus glowing, right? A conversation with Elijah and Moses. And then on the way down the mountain, we saw him chatting with Peter, James, and John. And we pick up the story right as those four arrive at the base of the mountain, starting at verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some of the teachers of religious law, the scribes, were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. Now, in these first three verses, we see two sets of duds. All right, two sets of duds. The first was the crowd's. The crowds who were just there for a show, right? These are the bandwagon jumpers, the ones who maybe haven't been following the team, but the team made it to the big game, so all of a sudden they're lifelong diehard fans, right? These are the fans who, upon realizing that Jesus was there in verse 15, having not seen him yet, but he just shows up, they're like, oh, he's here, right? Right? These are the ones who maybe they're sitting there arguing, talking bad about the disciples and Jesus, and you know what happens, you're like, he's, he's right behind me, isn't he? No. Hey <laughs> Jesus! It's so good to see you. These are those fans, the duds. All right, now second set of duds in this passage is the teachers of religious law, the scribes. These are the ones that I'll most that, that I'll focus on. They were most likely sent from Jerusalem by the religious elite to pick a fight with Jesus. They were there to argue. So when they arrived and Jesus wasn't there, they started picking a fight with Jesus' disciples. Now in the text it says they were there arguing with them. If you look up in the Greek, that word argue it means to argue. You ever walked in on a couple of people arguing? Ooh, you ever walk around the corner and you got like red faces, sweat dripping off the side, right? And, and they're like, they're face-to-face, they're, face. They're, they're fully immersed in what I like to call intense fellowship, okay? You ever walked in on a, some verbal sparring? Um, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, and most times with my conflict-avoidant tendencies, I'll turn around and walk back out and pretend like my mom called me or something like that. Right? Jesus and the three amigos that just came down the mountain, they should have done that. All right? They should have seen the crowds. They should have seen them surrounding the other nine of their crew members. They should have turned around and walked back up. That's what I would have done. In fact, if I was Peter, I would have leaned over to Jesus and I would have whispered, I bet you wish I had built those shelters for you now, huh? Right up on top. We could have been there. That's what I would have said. But that's not what happened. Now, what Jesus did, didn't turn around and walk back up. He walked right into the middle of the mess, fully welcoming, fully engaging, fully inviting the people who were in the middle of intense fellowship into his walk. Verse 16, what is all this arguing about, he asked. Right? These duds, these are the people who just came to argue. They didn't care about the immediate need that was there being presented. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to invite you into this dialogue. These duds, um, I read it and I thought, what a bunch of chickens, right? They show up to pick a fight with the boss, but the boss isn't there, so they pick a fight with the employees. They pick a fight with the, with the rookies, even though the coach isn't there. One commentator said the disciples had been quite unable to deal with this case. Yep. And that had given the scribes, the experts in the law, their chance. Boy, these helpless, The helplessness of the disciples was a first-rate opportunity to belittle not only them, but their master. Disciples in those days were supposed to do the things the master did, so the boys obviously weren't doing any good, so that meant probably Jesus wasn't any good either. At least that's what the duds would have been saying. And Jesus would have, I mean, he's a smart guy, he would have known that. And yet he still invites them in. Hey, hey guys, what, what are you arguing about? Tell me more about that. Talk to me. Now, what's interesting is that the duds did not respond to Jesus, nor did the disciples. It was the dads who did. The dads, and I say that plural on purpose, in this case, it was the dad who answers. Verse 17 and 18. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, Rabbi, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. He then foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid and weak. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Dads, I use the plural on purpose because if you remember back in Mark chapter 5, another dad came to Jesus asking for healing for his daughter who was in the process of dying, a synagogue leader named Jairus. We're actually going to come back to that story. So I want to say that Jesus invites in dads, not just mother-in-laws like Mark chapter 1 verse 30 says, but dads as well. And watch what he does here. I'm going to come back to verse 19, but we're going to jump to verse 20. So they brought the boy to Jesus But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. And he replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. This dad, this this dad came to Jesus, sought Jesus out, only to be told the teacher wasn't around. He'd taken a day hike up to the top of the mountain. He's probably going to come back at some point, but they didn't know for sure. So he went to the rabbi's disciples, who he knew were supposed to be able to do the same things that the master did, and unfortunately, they couldn't. They didn't. So when this flash mob forms and rushes the other way really, really quick, the dad sees that Jesus is there and comes over and he hears Jesus invite the, the, the conversation with the duds and, and the dad jumps in. And the father describes, you don't see it all in here, but you can feel this, this lifetime of pain and torment and fear. He bears his heart to Jesus in the simple explanation of what has been going on with the boy. And so Jesus has the boy brought to him, and this leads to what scholars believe. is an epileptic seizure. Okay, that's what, that's what it looks like. But there's something more to it. Because when the, the, the boy gets near Jesus, the intensity of the seizure multiplies exponentially. So there is something evil. There's something deeper beyond just the, the science of it. And I both love and loathe what Jesus did next. Yeah, I love, well, I loathe that he doesn't immediately cast out the evil spirit. As a dad with a son, I would have wanted that to be his first act, all right? But he doesn't. He he doesn't wave a hand, doesn't snap a finger. He just, he doesn't, doesn't end the episode. Instead, he enters into the father's pain. Verse 21, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father, tell me more. The father, in the middle of this crisis, Jesus says to the father, I want to to hear about this. And the father invites Jesus into this history of sleepless nights and helpless feelings that as a father you're supposed to care for and protect your kids. But almost probably on a daily basis, this kid is experiencing something that the father is helpless to do anything about. So the Father then invites Jesus into his life, his walk for that moment. Even as the the Father is inviting Jesus and Jesus is inviting him, the Father tells Jesus about countless prayers prayed and tears shed. Verse 22, since he was a little boy, the Spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. Now, before healing, before jumping into the next group we're going to talk about, I want us just to soak in the fact that in the middle of that moment, you know, large crowds, probably hot, probably sweaty, probably angry. You know, there's all sorts of things that are going on in that moment. In that moment, Jesus is fiercely present with the person in front of him. He is fiercely present with the person in front of him. Yes, there were crowds there that were soon to be gathering. There was a boy on the ground that was convulsing. I'm confident that Jesus knew what he was going to do. So he took the moment in the middle of all that with the dad and said, Tell me about it. I want to invite you into my walk. I both love and loathe that. I would have wanted Jesus to heal immediately, but as a dad, I also would want to be just have the, the the rapt attention of Jesus. Merle talked a couple of times this morning about there's no such thing as like chance, right? Well, I wrote this message on Tuesday, and I kid you not, literally five minutes after I finished writing it, my phone buzzes. And I get a text that I could tell I wasn't supposed to be on, all right? I had been, I had been group texting this husband and wife the, the week before, and the husband had texted the wife to ask a question, not knowing that I was on there. So I just, you know, very simply, hey, I don't know if this was meant for me, but uh, I'm on this text also. And, and the mom, in-house, like, she, she's one of us. She's actually downstairs working with the kids. She said, no, James, forgive us for that. Um, we didn't get any sleep last night because Evie had her second febrile caesar, She's okay. Uh, This happened to their first daughter as well. But I'm seriously, I'm I'm studying this passage where a dad's got a kid having a seizure, and, and God just says, hey, here you go. So, you know, via text, you can only show much, so show much emotion, but I tried to encourage, I, I tried to, whether it was helpful or not, point them to Jesus' fierce presence with them in the moment and in their sleepless night and in the days that would follow as the daughter kept a, a fever for a little while. Like I said, I don't know if it was helpful at the time, but just kind of felt maybe they needed to hear that. Or maybe we need to hear that this morning. Oftentimes, we'll wait till the end to do a practical application, but perhaps today you're sitting here in the middle of mess, in the middle of chaos, and you need to be reminded that Jesus is fiercely present with you as well. Today, tonight, tomorrow, he is gonna be there and is there. And if you hear nothing else this morning, if you leave with that, my job is done. Okay? We're gonna keep going. We've got duds. We've got dads, and we'll continue our story looking at how Jesus welcomes the doubters. The doubters. We go back to the beginning of the story. Jesus and his three amigos come walking down the mountain. Instead of running back up to avoid conflict, Jesus enters into it, says, what are you guys talking about? And the father jumps in and says, this is what they're talking about. At the end of his brief update, he said, so I asked your disciples to cast out your evil, the evil spirit, but they could not do it. And I wonder what the nine were thinking then. Mmm, They had their shot. Master was gone, Anita rose. Probably every single one of those nines had cast out a demon before. Because if you go back to Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent them all out on these mission trips and listen to what they did. Just listen. Mark 6 verse 12 and 13. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God and they cast out many demons and they healed many sick people anointing them with olive oil the apostles returned to jesus later from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught these guys had done this before so i mean what's the big deal got another got another sick person another demon to cast out i picture andrew stepping up first like hey fellas i got this right go fail right so then I picture Judas. Judas, even though you know, we, we give him a bad light, right, he cast out. He healed. He followed Jesus closely. He probably stepped up and said, no, Andrew, it doesn't happen like this. you got to wave your arms and then say, go. And again, didn't work. So then Philip tried, and Bartholomew tried, and Matthew tried, and Thomas tried. No luck yet, so James, son of Alphaeus, steps up. He thinks maybe he has the right uh, the right words, the right, I don't want to say incantation, because that makes it sound bad, but the right way to pray. It doesn't work for him, and Thaddeus and Simon step up thinking, well, the other seven couldn't do it, but I think we can do it, and they couldn't do it either. And I, I would just i have to imagine that after each failed attempt, My guess is that the seeds of doubt crept deeper and deeper into their minds and heart. They had done this before. Why couldn't they do it again? Had the power that Jesus gave them left them? Were they saying something wrong? Were they failing as disciples? Because that's what the duds were telling them. What would Jesus say when he heard about this? Well, they didn't have to wait too long to hear that answer. (laughs) Oh, verse 19. I don't like reading this out loud. Jesus said to them, and almost 100% of scholars believe it was directed at the disciples, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Somebody say ouch. Ouch. Right? I mean, these are Jesus' 12 best friends. These are the people he's been doing life with. I wonder if that statement caused any previous statements of Jesus to, you know, kind of rise to the top. Like that one time when, you know, when he calmed the storm, Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Ooh. Or in Mark chapter 6, he says this, Let me find out what verse I'm going to read from. Here we go. He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. A little over a week earlier, uh, when Jesus had had this, um, this time where he declared who he was, and right before that, Right before that, they were they were talking about the Pharisees and the yeast of the Pharisees, and Jesus says to the disciples, "Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you like hear? Well, not a great track record." And then in front of this large crowd, Jesus says to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? I mean, those exasperated disciples with that retort from Jesus, they had to be questioning everything, even whether or not they were halfway qualified to be Jesus' friend, let alone a disciple who was taught to do the things Jesus was doing because they were obviously failures, I'm sure they would have doubted like that. So we could put them in the category of doubters, but we can't just stop with them because we can put others in there as well. If the people coming from Jerusalem to start a fight with Jesus didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was and could do the things he said he did, did then those duds that we mentioned earlier should probably put into the doubter category as well is that fair should we put them in as well okay yeah and since we're putting them in as well why don't we put the dad in as well too Let's just mix it all in the pot, right? Verse 21 and 22, Jesus asked, how long has this been happening to the boy? And Jesus asked the father, and the the father replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Ooh, if. You can. The dad had initially believed that Jesus could. That's why he brought the boy to Jesus. But with each failed attempt of healing by the disciples, with Andrew and Matthew and Thomas and Judas, the dad's faith was slowly lost and doubt crept in. So he says, Heal us if you can. And Jesus responded in verse 23 If I can. What do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And this is perhaps my favorite prayer in all of Scripture. This father's cry of response, which I believe was a prayer, was so loud that the crowds kept growing. Verse 24, uh, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but help me overcome my doubts, and of course Jesus sees the crowd then growing. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have prayed that prayer. I do believe, but help me overcome my doubt. It's So good for me to see that these doubters, Jesus welcomed. Oh, it's good for me to see that. Whether it's the dud doubters or the dad-doubters or the disciple-doubters, Jesus says, I'm going to welcome you in. And we see Jesus do that through the end of the story, specifically with the disciples. Verse 25 to 29, when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. And afterward, this is where I see Jesus welcoming those disciples who he just in front of a massive crowd said, you faithless people, how long do I have to hang out with you? He takes those 12 disciples into a room, into a house. And they have an opportunity to ask him, why didn't that work? And Jesus has this response about this type can only come out through prayer. You know, Some of your Bibles will have an asterisk and it will say through prayer and fasting. I could preach an entire sermon just on that verse alone. The bottom line today, though, that I want us to leave with is Jesus welcomes the doubters whether you're a dud, whether you're a dad, whether you're a disciple doubter, Jesus welcomes you. I mean, if he welcomes his 12 closest friends who he publicly chastises in a very verbal way, he's going to welcome us as well. Someday those disciples would get it. Someday they would understand. So my question to us today is, do we? Do we understand today? Now, I could leave it at that. I could pray and say, Good luck understanding, but you know, you guys have like, uh, what did he say? That was a fun story, but what, what in the world are we supposed to do with that? I'm always hesitant to say this is what the Lord is saying to you today, because perhaps the Lord isn't saying this to you today. Maybe he's saying it to me or to somebody else, or maybe I'm wrong. So I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to say what he needs to say to you ultimately, but I'm going to give a couple of things from this text that I think maybe we should pull out of it. Perhaps you know somebody who's a dud, or a dad, or a doubter, who needs to hear this story and be reminded that Jesus welcomes them. Perhaps you are that dud, that doubt, or that doubter, and you need to be reminded that Jesus welcomes you. Perhaps you need to be reminded that you can't lean on past success to guarantee future success. Might be that you need to be reminded that in order to keep the power of Jesus that He's given us, we need to stay connected to that power called Jesus you know that's why jesus said this comes out only by prayer a lot of scholars would say what jesus was doing on the mount of transfiguration was praying so he came back fully loaded ready to heal well the disciples they say were there trying to prove their own worth and maybe they had been disconnected so maybe maybe one of those things connects or maybe today maybe today you feel like the boy who is being brought to jesus you've got something that you're just saying jesus i need healing I need something more than just, you know, physical healing. I need something even greater than that. And if if that's you, then I want to give you a name too. Another D name, just because that's the way alliteration works. We got does, we got dads, we got doubters. I want to say if you're being brought to Jesus as the the child today, you're a dreamer. Mm. You are a dreamer. You need to be reminded that no matter how far down you are, how far down your team is, there is always a chance. If we go back to that football analogy that I started with, right? I'd like to invite the dreamer to the Super Bowl party. Because even if they were down by 56, there's still hope. There's 13 seconds left. right? We can do this. right? If you're a Steelers fan, you had the Immaculate Reception. If you're a Vikings fan, you had the Minnesota Miracle. If you're a 49ers fan, uh, move to San Francisco. Um, <laughs> You had the catch, right? If you're in this story, seeing yourself as a boy needing healing, then you need to see that Jesus is the answer to your dream, but not just in that Sunday school Jesus type of way In what Jesus has been pointing to very clearly in this entire story of the gospel of Mark. If you're asleep, go ahead and wake up. Give me three more minutes, okay? Because I think what's going to be said next is important. We talked about this first dad in the story, just briefly, a guy named Jairus, who brought his, his uh, well, he didn't bring his daughter, he came to Jesus saying, my daughter is dying, I need your help, right? If you remember the story, he was on his way there, the, the people came and said the daughter's already dead, but Jesus said, you know, just have faith, uh, come with me, goes into the room where the girl was lying, and in Mark 6, verse 41 to 42, it says, holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, get up and the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around and they were amazed and overwhelmed stood up, get up. This was the language of resurrection and new life. And when I say resurrection, don't just think Easter Sunday, okay? Think bringing something dead back to life, bringing something broken back to being full, bringing something that's sick back to healing into new life. That's the language that's being used in that chapter in chapter 5, verse 41. Now, in the conversation that Jesus had with his buddies about a week earlier, when he said, yes, Peter called him the Messiah, and he said, yes, listen to what he said then. He said after this, in 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 not too long, the Son of Man is going to suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise up from the dead. That word, rise up, it's the language of resurrection. It's the language of new life. storyteller Mark is a genius, all right? In our story today, the crowd thought the boy was dead. They said it twice in verse 26, but in verse 27, oh, listen to the echoes. In verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. That's the language of resurrection. That's a language of new life. We don't see it in our English, but in the Greek, it's the same root word for all three of those passages. Jesus, and through the great storyteller Mark, is pointing towards bringing things that are dead to life and bringing things that are broken to new life. And Jesus keeps inviting all these people in to experience new life and resurrection. And he doesn't say, just raise your hand, pray a prayer, and someday you're going to get your ticket into heaven. No, he's saying, I want you to experience resurrection life now. I want to raise you up now. If you are the dreamer, maybe that's what you need to hear. You need to be reminded that even though it feels like you're on the edge of death today, like you don't know what the next turn you need to make is, if you are a dreamer, you can believe fully that Jesus wants to take whatever life you have that he's fiercely present with, and he wants to bring it to new life. He wants that new life to be lived out today. Like I said moments ago, I'm not going to tell you what you need to take from this message. Okay, I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to do that. But know this, whether you're a dud, a dad, a doubter, or a dreamer, Jesus welcomes you. He invites you. He loves you. He wants to walk with you, and he wants to be fiercely present with you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know that there are times in each of our lives where we need to be reminded that you not only are uh, some big cosmic creator and sustainer of the universe who breathed life into earth and trees and oceans and birds and, and people, we need to be reminded that you are intimately close, that you are fiercely present with us, and we can see that in this story. Jesus, we need to be reminded that even if it's just small parts of dead things in us or if our entire body, our existence, if we're feeling on the edge of death, we need to be reminded that you want to take our hand, rise us up, and give us that new life today. God, will we be reminded of that in a very real, a very tangible, a very noticeable way? And Lord, I don't know how you're going to answer our prayers. You know, I don't know if you're going to uh, give us X, Y, or Z. But if if nothing else, Lord, I want you to remind us that you are there with us. I ask that you would do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen.